Art on the Podcast is brought to you in collaboration with Go With Yamo. Go With Yamo is an art exhibition app which helps you to find the exhibitions, art fairs and art events happening all around you. The app displays exhibitions based on your location. So the one closest to you will be at the top of the list. But if you're planning a trip, you can, of course, change your location to a different city. What makes the app really fun is that when you are at an exhibition, you can check in and earn points, which can then be used to redeem prizes from the in-app store, such as prints, exhibition tickets, books and more. Go With Yamo also create custom virtual exhibitions for galleries and artists. They recently created the virtual space for the Art on a Postcard winter auction, which is definitely worth checking out if you haven't done so already. You can find all of these on their website, along with some great blog content, including artist interviews, exhibition recommendations, quizzes and reviews. The Art app is free to download from the App Store and the Google Play Store, so make sure you check it out and visit their website, www.gowithyamo.com. That's G-O-W-I-T-H-Y-A-M-O. Thank you and enjoy the podcast. Hello and welcome to Art on a Podcast, the podcast created by Art on a Postcard. In today's episode, I am chatting with Harry Borden um, about his selected images for his fine art photography box set available on our website at www.artonapostcard.com. Harry Borden is a British portrait photographer based in London. His subjects have included celebrities such as Robin Williams, Ewan McGregor, Jamie Oliver, Tony Blair and not least Margaret Thatcher. Examples of Borden's work are held in the collections of the National Portrait Gallery, hundreds of images in the National Portrait Gallery London um, and National Portrait Gallery Australia as well. His photograph of Margaret Thatcher actually features in his box set and in the podcast Harry describes what it was like photographing, photogra- photographing? <laughs> photographing the Iron Lady herself in the latter part of her life after dementia, dementia had started to take hold, um, as well as talking about the Spice Girls, Radiohead, Gillian Anderson, and many more. I hope you enjoy. Hello, Rosa. Hello, how are you? Oh, it's funny, the, um, my, I've, I've got a very um, sort of sentimental attachment to the name Rosa because my... Um, one of my first serious girlfriends was called Rosa. <laughs> yeah, she was the sister of my best friend, and uh, she's married to a photographer now. So and got three kids and stuff. We're still friends. Oh, <laughs> uh, it's a nice name, isn't it? Yeah, it does actually crop up more than well. It, it's every so often. I'd say once every two years. I meet another Rosa or hear of another Rosa. So it's just yeah. unusual enough that um, not everybody has it. But it's also um, nice that people do have these connections to the name as well. <laughs> Absolutely, I think we sort of have. I think I think men are more prone to it. I think that's what Alan Partridge is sort of about. Is like men have these irrational attachments to. Uh, sort of material things you know like a Lexus car and a blazer in the case of Alan Partridge and sort of you tend to sort of imbue material things with with more significance than perhaps they 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 genuinely have 
um, I remember having this baseball cap that I got given because I photographed a, a, a football team in uh, a PS, PSV Eindhoven and it was for Goal magazine about 20 years ago and they gave me this cap and I just had it for ages and it just looked, it looked terrible. It wasn't a good look. I mean, it's sort of, you know, <laughs> baseball caps on men is not a good look, but it just got really worn <laughs> and I got really attached to it. And I was actually on holiday with Rosa. This is obviously right. it shows how long ago it was. And I remember we were waiting at a fountain for this bus and we were in Spain or somewhere like that. And, and the bus finally arrived and we were on the bus sort of heading off and I could see the, the cap on the floor by the fountain and I'd left it there. And I can still remember that now. You have these sort of sentimental attachments to uh, things and, you know, this, yeah. this sort of the stories that go with them, I guess. Are you quite a hoarder then? Do you, do you find yourself sort of storing, saving onto things like tickets and things like that? Yeah, I mean, I... I and like I think most people um we're all kind of floundering around with these kind of failings that we have um you know these stories that we tell tell ourselves about who we are and identity our identities which kind of distract us from the reality which is that kind of it's all a hallucination that we're kind of you know we've concocted in our brains but we sort of tell us these the, re the reality is we don't we know on some level that everybody that we know will be gone at one point and then the earth will be cold and the sun will be cold and nothing will remain. And we kind of, on some level, we're aware of that. And we sort of, we cling on to sort of artifacts and things and detritus and just to sort of distract us from these sorts of big truths. And so in answer to your question, yes, but I'm sort of, I'm also very good at kind of trying, attempting anyway, to be self-aware and learn from my mistakes. And so at this moment in time, I'm sort of making, regular trips to the to charity shops and you know any clothes that I don't wear regularly they they go to charity shops even if they're I think that one day I'll wear them or whatever but yeah I'm a really I really kind of think it's good to sort of simplify your life so I do have a propensity to that I think most people do and I do love car boot sales and charity shops and so on yeah but uh, ultimately um it's good to travel light I think <laughs> yeah I mean I suppose you do a lot of your sort of preservation of memories and things like that through your photography as well you know I was looking at your photograph of Margaret Thatcher this morning and th there's something that just it could have been taken yesterday you know she looks so sort of I know her eyes are closed but she looks so sort of alive and there's so much color in her sort of face and um I wonder, do, do you feel like there's almost some element of that in the photography as well? Oh, abs absolutely. You know, it's I, I, I thought that, you know, I mean, I never set out to sort of photograph celebrities and I wasn't kind of particularly enamoured with the idea of celebrity, although it's kind of seductive because, you know, when you're at a dinner party or something, you know, you do get attention. People want to know what David Beckham was like or Baroness Thatcher or whatever. Mm. But um I think it's an inevitable consequence if you're good at photographing people and, you're, and you kind of can bowl into a situation with the force of your personality, sort of create a good rapport and then record that relationship, which is what, in essence, portrait photography is. It's a record of the relationship you have with the person on the day. But I've always thought it's a bit like a, you're going out into the meadow with your butterfly net and you're sort of capturing these, these people. And you attempt to do get something um, definitive, um, you know. So, so for instance, with Thatcher, you know, my kind of politics were forged in in opposition to her. Really, I mean, although having said that, I was kind of excited as a child because I'm sort of old enough to remember her first victory and the possibility of of a female prime minister was quite exciting. And she was sort of cartoon like, 
Um, and then, you know, as I got older, I went on student marches in opposition to her and her policies and the way she changed the political landscape. And then, um, and then it came full circle. I never thought I'd photograph her. And I actually had a dream about her, strangely enough. Never had a dream about her since or, or before. Mm-hmm. I had this dream uh, and I felt, sort of felt sad that I would never get to photograph her um, because I was sort of too young when she was in her pomp. And it actually was much, um, there was much more of a hierarchy back then. There were mainly these middle-aged male photographers who got all the jobs and it was really difficult to traverse that. And I was just giving a, a, a talk actually to a, a college um, uh, earlier in the week or, or actually, where are we now? Yeah, it was early in the week. Um, and I was sort of, actually, and it can't have been earlier in the week. I've used track of days, don't you? Um, last week, I was talking to um, Tom Pilston about, uh, and, I, and I was about for my career and so on, and talking to one of the students there. And I was just saying how easy it is now to generate interest and actually kind of progress quite rapidly because of the power of the internet. And if you produce something truly extraordinary, then it kind of can get a lot of interest and traction and you can kind of, you don't have to kind of um, in patient in a patient way sort of strategically plot your way up the hierarchy you can do what say Juno Calypso did and sort of produce something that's quite an extraordinary series of pictures and they kind of go viral and uh, and things really lead on so we're getting back to Thatcher I mean I basically got this opportunity to photograph and I was so excited Um, and the interesting thing was that you know all that kind of animos had gone and I sort of Met this frail old woman who was clearly succumbing to the uh, to dementia, and uh, and you're right, she did have amazing skin. I don't know if she had, in the course of her life, kept out the sun and kind of had loads of foundation or something, but her skin was really really beautiful. And uh, and you know she had her own hair and makeup, and they they did put a lot of powder on and everything. But she was she was very courteous and uh, actually you know. In reflection you know compared to the sort of current crop of kind of careerist um opportunists like Bo- boris johnson she's sort of actually i may not agree with her principles but at least she had principles and she had a kind of ideology she wasn't just merely trying to advance herself in in this sort of game i think she genuinely sort of believed what she um believed about free markets and and deregulation and so on and so forth um so yeah i kind of got about due to the, the, the beauty of um, digital um, cameras, I sort of have the metadata and I know that from the first photograph to the last picture, uh, leaving aside a few pictures I took when she was getting ready, you know, when she was having her makeup taken, the actual shoot was 12 minutes long. So you wow. can sort of in the metadata. <laughs> so I was like a kind of mosquito, just absolutely har- hammering through as many different sort of scenarios as I could. That picture was never used. Uh, it was for Time magazine. It was for an, um, an issue about heroes and villains of the previous century. Um, and and uh, the, the sad thing was that she uh, uh, I was photographing her in a sort of studio near her home in Battersea. And um, when she arrived, she sort of um, mistakenly assumed that I was photographing all the other people, but they were being photographed all around the world. So. Gorbachev was being photographed, you know, in Russia or, um, you know, uh, Nelson Mandela was being photographed in South Africa. All these different heroes were being photographed in different locations. And the idea that they would all be kind of convening on this little 
downbeat studio in, in Battersea was kind of ludicrous. But she kept saying to me, when are the other people arriving? And I'd sort of explained to her that it was just I was just doing her. And and then she'd sort of asked me the same question again. And then at the end of the shoot, she in a plaintive way, she sort of said, the other people never did arrive. <laughs> and, you know, it was kind of quite <laughs> poignant sort of seeing someone who'd been this iron lady sort of mm -hmm. succumbing to a kind of the inevitable human frailty that we all do, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Wow, that must have been such a sort of powerful thing to behold, as you said, as someone who would have been so aware of her sort of, um, her kind of... Yeah, she was iconic. Yeah, her, her, what an icon she is in terms of British politics. Yeah, with, um, with, you know, one of the other pictures is the Spice Girls and, you know, mm. they kind of, they kind of went down in my estimation a bit, but I can see why they did it. But they were sort of saying that Margaret Thatcher was the first Spice Girl, the first girl power type thing. Well, yeah, 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 yeah. But I guess, you know, the Spice Girls were very mainstream and they weren't kind of, they weren't Guardian readers. They were kind of small C conservative, you know, provincial town type of girls who kind of wanted to get on. And, you know, maybe they were that was their natural home was the the conservative yeah. party but yeah I kind of um it was a great opportunity so in that situation you kind of it's not enough just to get a good picture you do want to get something iconic and and it's that picture was used a lot I mean I was aware of it being a death mask and I and that's kind of my approach is I try not to kind of get too emotionally involved with my subject only on in it I try and have an authentic human exchange with people but it's but I never kind of get caught up in worrying about what they think about the photograph. I'm just sort of trying to see how it will be perceived in 20 years time. And it mm. is kind of and it was used after she died a lot on, in, in newspapers. And in, interestingly, it, I think she asked if she could use it on the on her foundation. So I think it's probably still on her website. Um, so she kind of obviously liked the picture, but maybe didn't realize that it, it was going for it was sort of thinking of like a Tutankhamun kind of like Egyptian kind of mummy death mask, kind of like this frozen in time. And yeah, it does have a kind of, yeah, she doesn't look like, you know, it doesn't, she doesn't look like someone at the end of her life or whatever. Um, yeah, it does have that kind of peaceful quality. Definitely. Um, so you mentioned that that thing of sort of recording um, of the person on the day that like a shoot is sort of like, you know, the documentation of how that person is is sort of being and, you know, presenting to you in that moment that you're engaging with them. What is your method on set to kind of um, allow for that to happen? So how do you work with the subject to get the best out of the shoot? Um, and to draw the story out of, you know, whoever it might be um, and into the portrait? Um, it's kind of, uh, I would sort of liken my approach. Uh, it sort of evolved over time. So at the beginning, um, I was kind of much more nervous and I was kind of aware of the fact that uh, it was almost a kind of belligerence. You know, I was aware that they were kind of standing in the way of me getting what I wanted, which was a definitive picture. And also I was kind of more hackneyed in my approach. So I would, I was probably influenced by people like Annie Leibovitz. And so I would sort of bring things along to augment the shoot and give me kind of a, an in, or I would, um, you know, try and um, be kind of quite, uh, what's the word sort of very kind of strategic. And I was just, I was just concerned about, um, you know, uh, pleasing the picture editors whereas now I sort of 
it's about how I want to lead my life really. And so, and it actually leads to better pictures anyway. So, so now I would say that my approach is one of, um, I do in general with my projects, um, generally and in my life generally I try and sort of live my life according to the maxim that you know uh, that I want to kind of derive intrinsic pleasure from the process of living my life and being in the moment and I remember doing sort of um, Vipassana meditation which is a sort of 10-day retreat where you you don't look at anyone uh, you're not allowed to talk to anyone uh, you, you get up at four in the morning all you do is meditate and you sort of you realize that you're kind of um, you're observing these sensations on your body and you and you get very much in the moment. And it's kind of a mantra that people talk about a lot these days. But but I had this revelation that basically when you're I think one of the reasons I find taking pictures so enthralling is that you're genuinely in the moment. You you can't really do it effectively if you're not in the moment because you're literally capturing the moments in with your camera. And so what I do is kind of create a situation that allows me to to feel that kind of level of of peacefulness and calm and playfulness and so i just genuinely try to to have fun and 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 be kind of playful so um i don't have as many i don't tend to have a lot of assistance or a lot of equipment i kind of came to the conclusion that that daylight is kind of timeless and ultimately in 20 years time you know set pictures that i used to use lighting and flash especially ring flash you know those pictures will look like what pictures look like in the 1990s whereas i'm sort of trying to take pictures that will kind of stand the test of time and the really great pictures say for instance of james dean by dennis stock or eve arnold's pictures of uh, marilyn monroe often they're just used eve arnold said that flash kills the atmosphere and so i just use daylight and you know that that, that kind of gives it a a sort of timeless quality and there's just something very atmospheric about daylight so I sort of tend to kind of not do any kind of I mean I have a good grasp of popular culture I'm sort of I read and and so on and know what's going on but but I think it's creepy if you know too much about somebody and it's and it spoils what should be kind of an interesting exchange and, and it all so many times it happens that people are sort of worried about being photographed and at the end it's just it's just been fun because the thing is I'm sufficiently um, adept at the kind of craft of photography that I can then sort of just it, it, I'm, I'm doing it kind of like on a on my, my sort of I guess a more primitive part of my brain is taking care of the f-stops and the exposure and the and the and the light readings and so on so then I can just have a have a have a have an interesting exchange with somebody and quite often you're photographing these people and they are in I mean I, I find you know when I've, I've been photographing people who have an intimate relationship with trees you know the people who live in forests and so on I mean and they're not celebrities and they're just as fascinating as as celebrities but quite often you know if you're if you're meeting someone by definition who's a celebrity they're at a point in the kind of linear progression of their narrative of their life where things have gone really well so it's it's a fun time to meet them so and talk about what's been happening because you know I photographed at, uh, Andrew Cotter you know, who did um, sort of fun videos uh, with his Labradors that went viral um, just recently about about three weeks ago and uh, you know he's a sports commentator and he was found that in lockdown you know he couldn't none of the sport was on so he started commentating on his Labradors his videos are very good they're sort of under the name Mr Andrew Cotter and it's it's fun meeting someone 
um, like him, for instance, I mean, he's a sort of semi fairly well known as a sports commentator, but now he's a sort of global phenomenon because those those uh, videos that he met, made went viral. So it's, it's actually interesting sort of um, having having an insight into what what that's like, you know, or somebody, you know, who who's bought some Bitcoin and, and now they're worth, you know, tens of millions. It's 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 an they're amazing stories that are kind of inherently fascinating. And, and as I said, people without those stories are fascinating. I, I think I just like people. So I kind of find it easy to kind of ask people about what's been going on. And and then also, you know, I, I love the play of light. So I can sort of, you know, just derive that intrinsic pleasure from from watching the way the light plays on someone's skin and then just capturing things as in a very kind of organic and natural way. And that's how you get pictures that are more interesting um, I mean, the, the Spice Girls is a good case in point. I mean, I've been photographing them up on top of the this building in Bangkok, um, and the pictures were kind of quite cliche, sort of them against the skyline in Bangkok, you know. Um, and the black and white picture uh, occurred when they thought the shoot was over, over. They sort of came down. The building was sort of a derelict building. They came down and just sat down, and they just sat like that. And a lot of it is being alive to these sorts of moments that present themselves that you can kind of capture. And it's almost like having an art, uh, more of a reportage eye and not kind of the shoot never being over, you know, you kind of quite often, those are the, the those are the most interesting pictures. Mm, yeah. And I suppose, you know, we in the nineties with the Spice Girls, we were so used to seeing them looking so sort of um, kind of glossy and um, mm. poised. Um, and in that photograph, in that photograph that you've taken, that's in, included in the box set, it's sort of, um, they just look really relaxed and at ease and you can kind of get a sense of their sort of sisterhood more, you know, the thing that they were supposedly representing in your photograph and you might have done in the ones where they look almost like Power Rangers or something, you know, like feet kind of astride and <laughs> kind mm. of superhero. Mm. Yeah, I, I I photographed them, uh, you know, four times on four different continents and shot them in Vegas and, as I say, in Bangkok. And they, you know, there's a lot of that. They were a well-oiled machine. And so, um, yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting because quite often, um, you know, when I sort of think back, of, I, at the time, I remember sort of taking that picture um, and I did like it. Um, I like it on a photographic level because it sort of has backlighting. Uh, and then simultaneously it's got sort of side lighting like so Jerry is sort of like the girl in the pearl earring and she's sort of lit in that kind of mm. Renaissance painting way and then Victoria is sort of backlit and sort of um, and she looks very kind of I wouldn't say disheveled but she looks different from the, way, the very manicured way that we've come to sort of see her as Victoria Beckham um, and and the, it's a, you can see that it's a genuine moment, and and there is a nice uh, rapport uh, and a kind of the way that visually uh, the, the hands go through the photograph, and they're just sitting there in a very natural way. And there's some there's some as they say it was a building site, so there's some tubing on the bottom left of the picture, and I sort of just left that in because it's and it's sort of very natural. I mean, it's shot in a medium format camera, so it's got that quality but it's also kind of got, it, it's authentic. Um, and it's interesting because you sort of, I remember at the time there were other pictures that they were shot for the face at the time, you know, and you sort of see, and I did I did shoots of them like this, you know, where they were very technicolor, glossy, kind of perfection, airbrushed pictures and everything, but they're kind of, they're not, that, those pictures, I, I realized way back that 
I mean, for instance, the interesting pictures of the Beatles or the pictures backstage with Brian Epstein, they're not the, the album covers. You know, the pictures of uh, John Lennon with Yoko Ono, you know, in in bed in a hotel in, in Copenhagen um, or Amsterdam. I think it's Copenhagen. Or was it Amsterdam? I think it may be <laughs> one or the other. But basically these sorts of historical, historic moments are kind of more interesting. And, and if they're, they, because they're more authentic and they, they have more kind of visual integrity than something that's sort of contrived and ends up looking quite ephemeral and dates. And that's why I think that sort of picture is sort of quite interesting. Mm, yeah, definitely. I mean, not that it deserves serious scrutiny, <laughs> but uh, it it does sort of it does all, all, also look like Jerry's tiring of the kind of uh, you know, and because she, she's sort of not quite engaged as uh, as the rest of them are, and obviously yeah. Jerry, Robbie of the Spice Girls, you know, she ended up sort of <laughs> precipitating the breakup <laughs> of that great <laughs> unit. <laughs> yeah. I just my memory my memory of that is my daughter was born in 95 and then I was sort of in Bangkok doing that shoot and I remember thinking what am I doing traveling all this way you know I should be sort of at home you know helping my wife with with my daughter Polly uh and you know and then but but the, you know, now it's sort of it's a beautiful picture and, and as I say it's in the National Portrait Gallery that picture so it's obviously one of the one of the definitive pictures of the Spice Girls yeah yeah definitely i mean you've got 100 100 portraits of yours are in the national portrait gallery yeah it's over over 100 i think it's about 100 and you know about over 110 but i mean it's a nicer it's actually a good barometer of whether you've got something interesting and it's you know it's it's about the people it's not about me and i think it sort of actually reflects my approach because um quite often if 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 a portrait photographer has a very formulaic style they've happened on something that's successful for them it's it's very difficult to sort of pull away from that but yeah. because I sort of try and be playful and I try and you know please myself and have fun and learn about photography as, as I'm taking pictures the pictures are kind of have have more truth they're kind of that I think if you if, if the National Portrait Gallery were acquiring a photographer's body of work they would tire of seeing the they might have the most famous people that they might acquire, but they might tire of sort of seeing that technique used again and again and again. Yeah. So, for instance, you know, um, I, I don't want to sort of do down other photographers, but there are certain photographers that would just do a big headshot every time. Um, and it's sort of really, you know, it looks impressive initially because the cameras are inherent. They're, they're incredibly, the quality is there and there's there's a phenomenal sort of, resolution of, of you know medium format camera it's impressive but then when you start seeing a whole kind of exhibition of basically the same picture where a sub all these different subjects have just been stamped with technique ultimately it seems quite banal and I think what the box set illustrates is that you know the variety so for instance Gillian Anderson is is sort of lit with flash in a very kind of studio like way and very sharp and so on and then there's the Spice Girls is pure reportage, really. I mean, I put the camera on a tripod, but that was a genuine moment, you know. Definitely. I mean, it's, yeah, it's just so great because it's kind of like they have this um, light, all of your photographs seem to have a life in them that sort of transcends like any kind of box that you would usually put photography into. So like, you know, you might say, someone might be a commercial photographer, someone might be a reportage photographer, someone might be a document 
documentary photographer um and it kind of feels like your photographs transcend those kind of boxes which is um as you said it, it and it's interesting to hear your your methodology behind that is pretty much to strip it right back and just to allow kind of the moment to speak for itself which obviously you know is about your kind of sensitivity and um intuition on a shoot um which you know not everyone's going to have but it's interesting to hear that it's sort of you know it's not layering too much on it's not sort of um it's yeah, just I mean, moment speak yeah yeah I think I think I wouldn't I, I I'd say that my three big influences have been Irving Penn Richard Avedon and Diane Arbus and all for different reasons and I and I wouldn't I, I wouldn't want to completely discount the fact that I do think I mean all my pictures are sort of cropped in the camera and I'd sort of do I think being a photographer is really about having opinion about how things will, will be arranged within a geometric shape, you know, be it a square mm. or, or a yeah. rectangle and having an instinctive sort of visual language that you adhere to. And I definitely um, have that. And I recognize it in the people that I admire, you know, like those three. Um, and so Richard Avon and Irving Penn, I definitely think there's nothing wrong with great technique and applying that and so on, which is what, what they both did. But they seem, but there's also this kind of lightness of touch, which is which is really important. And quite often, you know, and I, I was guilty of it, you know, when I started, because you're so consumed with the technical aspects, you end up forgetting that you're not photographing a bag of potatoes, you're photographing a real person. And if you and it's also fun, you know, you get wow, you get to meet, you know, amazing people. Um, you know, um, some mm. of them you become you you actually sort of um can enrich your life because you sort of you're you're getting access to people who are quite often wise and have incredible insight and um, and so yeah I mean I, I do think um you're right I mean I do I, I'd hate it, it it isn't all kind of like just rocking up and being completely light you know I do kind of have this um I sort of lexicon visual kind of um reservoir of pictures that I draw upon and for me the Diane Arbus would be the would be the the graphic tension and the, and the intimacy and the visual strangeness, which appeals to me as well. I mean, I could name loads of other photographers, but I always go back to Diane Arbus's first sort of monograph, her sort of series of portraits. And I just find it so fresh and inspiring. And I'm sure every photographer would say that because it's like, mm -hmm. and it's amazing to think that she produced that in such a short space of time. Um, it's just, a, a you know, it's very inspiring. And, you know, the, the pictures are just, there's just, although they're kind of, as she would describe it, the, I mean, probably not a, a language you'd want to be using these days, but she would, she'd sort of describe the people she photographed as freaks. They kind of have such humanity and intimacy, and that's what I love about them. You know? mm, yeah. And I guess, you know, what she might mean by freaks, people that lead lifestyles that yeah. are of Absolutely. the ordinary um and that is definitely something that you are doing and have been doing throughout your career and you know I mean you photographed I, Tony Blair, David Beckham, JK Rowling, Paul McCartney um you know people that are um sort of massively influential you know the great British thinkers and creatives and talents and kind of I'm asking this I suppose on a kind of base curiosity level, but is there anyone that you photographed that has made you feel kind of bashful or starstruck? You know, you mentioned feeling kind of nervous at the beginning of your career and stuff like that. Um, I think always the the pitch, the, 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 the way it should be. I mean, the reason I only recently um, got a proper 
gallery that sort of sell editions of my work and the reason I didn't do that is because I don't tend to look back I tend to be like a, a shark constantly looking forward so in answer to that, to that I mean it's always it's, it's, it's how it should be which is that basically the person on the horizon or the person I've just shot you should care and be excited about who you're photographing obviously yeah I mean I would say that Baroness Thatcher was quite something doing her but you know I was just I shot uh, I think it was last year or the year before I shot um Lena Dunham uh you know from Girls you know yeah. HBO and you know I've been a fan of hers I remember sort of phoning up um my agent and sort of saying look she's going to be I saw her film she made Tiny Furniture there was an article I read about her and I happened to sort of see her film Tiny Fur Furniture and when she must have made it when she was like practically a teenager Right. And I just I just sort of felt a connection with with her work. I just thought she's brilliant. And and then, you know, I loved girls and stuff like that. But, you know, I shot her for The Guardian, you know, and, uh, you know, you 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 meet someone like that who's really creative and, you know, and it's and, the, and also has now because of, you know, the stuff that she's done, you know, she's kind of um, she's controversial, you know, but you know that you're pictures if you get if you get a good picture of someone like that then they kind of it's really has the possibility like she used my pictures on her twitter and stuff like that mm -hmm. and uh, but you know i i wouldn't say i mean that's just, i just say her because she's one of the more recent um shoots i've done with celebrities i mean it happens quite a lot i mean the the worst thing is when you're when you're not i mean i'm up for um i i i genuinely love the medium so um i genuinely uh feel quite a sense of uh you know it I, th I think if I don't take pictures uh for any length of time I start to feel life is sort of the edges are coming you know it's get things are getting a bit dull and I have to remind myself that I need that creative outlet um I mean I've been sort of satisfying that through you know I've been writing about my um shoots on my Instagram under the hashtag when Harry met and I and I find that it's not quite the same thing. It's much more of a rigorous sort of process, but communicating generally and being creative, I find kind of is a, is a, it's, it's, it's part of uh, being human. I think it's a really important that you have a creative outlet and you feel that your life has meaning and photography's sort of given my life meaning really. Um, so in answer to your question, uh, if, if I guess an easy one would be like someone less like Baroness Thatcher, but, you know, that, that I, I can't think of anyone off the top of my head, but someone else might pop into my head later on. <laughs> yeah. But quite often, you know, there have been, I remember picture editors have sort of said, we want you to do so-and-so. And then, and then I'm so, I'm so excited, you know, <laughs> and then quite often it's just a really personal thing. Like there's certain people that I, that I'd be, I'd like to photograph, you know, uh, you know, like Sasha Baron Cohen, you know, for instance, uh, or just people that are in, that are um, interesting, or Larry David from Curb Your Enthusiasm, mm -hmm. you know, or Jerry Seinfeld. In fact, for the same reason. Are you a fan of comedy then? Sorry. Are you a big comedy fan? Yeah, of course. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, I tend to sort of go for stuff. I mean, I'm not a fan of. <laughs> I don't want to do it down or anything, but I'm not a fan of Mrs. Brown's Boys. I tend to sort of like stuff that's kind of dark and kind of uh, you know, like Curb Your Enthusiasm or or. I would say my favourite stand-up comedian is Stuart Lee, um, who I was just looking at. I photographed him um, with Richard Herring uh, years ago for the Sunday Times. And then I've subsequently, I didn't realise at the time, I think I would have been starstruck with him uh, had I known how, how brilliant he is. Um, but uh, it, it was at the time he was sort of more associated with Richard Herring. And, 
and then so, so I've subsequently sort of seen him him a few times I like that sort of deconstructing things it's the same with I, I'm learning to play the piano now and I, I'm sort of learning you when you start to kind of get really into things then you start to sort of pick them apart and understand them better and that's why I kind of like Stuart Lee because it sort of reveals what's beneath the surface um of absolutely comedy. it's a sort of joke inception um yeah it's, it's brilliant um I was also you so you mentioned about these people who love the trees and also on your on your website I was looking through your book um the survivor mm. um, of survivors of the holocaust um obviously this is a um this is, well it, it is read by the viewer as a different type of project you know it's something um more obviously documentational kind of style photography um do you approach it in a different kind of way because obviously you know some of these subject matter might be slightly sensitive or um there might be things that they don't necessarily want to reveal about themselves and want to conceal about themselves how do you find that process and how, how is that you know similar or different yeah, I mean, I, 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 I think my approach with celebrities is quite, um, quite authentic. And so it was kind of easy to, I mean, I just got to the point in my life where, you know, you can carry on um, doing the same things. And, it, and it's sometimes it's, it's good to sort of shake things up a bit. And I kind of like, I, you know, it's, it is seductive doing celebrities because you get a disproportionate amount of kudos because people make assumptions about you as a photographer that you're better than you are because you've photographed someone famous. Um, and I kind of, uh, you know, was, I guess I was aware of that. I mean, I was, I was at this sort of, sort of an event with a load of photographers and another photographer sort of, who's a documentary photographer sort of said to me, um, I won't say who it is. <laughs> he just said, uh, oh yeah, yeah I've seen your stuff you photograph pictures of famous people and he said it in a really kind of de um in a in a in a derisive way and um and I guess I sort of I was a bit defensive and I sort of said no I I said to him no I, what I do is I document the cultural landscape <laughs> and uh, and I just realized that uh, actually he kind of was right and uh, you know ultimately celebrity you know unless you kind of like are you know collaborating with with somebody a celebrity and you're kind of making something really creative like my assistant she used to be my assistant and I'm so proud of her she, she's a brilliant photographer Annie Collins she sort of like uh, she was does sort of portraits of celebrities occasionally but she doesn't really do that she's more of a fashion photographer but her stuff is much more collaborative and she does create stuff out of nothing and she's a really interesting photographer but with my work, you know, I just thought I've got this kind of approach. Uh, I got to the point in my life where where I just thought, how you know, how how do I? I, I think it was um, important that I did did something um, interesting with this skill that I had. It seemed like in like a, almost an obligation, and it, and as I said, it would be it'd be nice, it'd be easy to sort of just carry on, and also um, to be frank, uh, our the printed media the the industry that sort of sustained my career you know has been in sort of terminal decline because of the internet sort of hollowing out um advertising revenue so i kind of like was mindful of that you know i'm very lucky that i still get commissions um from the various magazines that i i work for but i just thought in parallel with that i want to start doing stuff that 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 means something to me that uh, has the possibility of producing something profound 
And um, yeah, so that I, there really is, wasn't much difference in my approach. I would obviously have to be, I mean, I'm quite sensitive, uh, you know, relatively self-aware, I think, you know, so I kind of, um, I think what, what was interesting about the, it, it were kind of two aspects to the Survivor book. I mean, on one hand, it was an exploration of my sort of identity my dad was a Jew. Uh, he was an atheist. Um, I'm technically not Jewish because it's a matrilineal um, um, religion. So basically, it's you're Jewish if your mother's Jewish. Yeah. Although, having said that, Hitler would have considered me Jewish. Um, and so it was kind of an exploration of a part of my identity that I hadn't really, I'd never met any Jewish people. Um, I grew up, although I was born in New York, and then my dad was an art director in advertising, and then moved to London, and then brother and sister were born and then my dad probably had a midlife crisis and moved down to Devon in the southwest and so there aren't many Jewish people in Devon and uh, so I kind of never met any Jewish people and I was aware of this kind of millstone in a way because I, I for instance I remember being on a on a school trip in Germany and uh, you know this would have been in the sort of early 80s I guess and some of the kids in the in the bus we were sort of driving around this um, city in in Germany and some of the kids were sort of they were just being kids and they didn't really know what they were saying but they were sort of saying look at those dirty Jews and they were sort of referring to people in the streets you know they're kind of referring to the war they were just you know being like being kids really and I sort of was aware that my dad was Jewish and uh, you know and there have been little things like that that happen um, along the way that you don't really kind of you know a friend uh came was round for for dinner and we were having dinner and and uh this particular car had just been sort of marketed and and uh you know was for sale with british leyland called called the mini metro and it was a very very small car it's similar to a mini mm. and uh and i remember my friend sort of said apropos of the mini you know um it's a really it's a really jewish car meaning you know that it it would be kind of like really economical it would be miserly uh, you know, and these sorts right. of little things that happen and you're just aware of this thing that is potentially, you know, that marks you out as different and not necessarily in a good way. So I kind of had this, you know, low level, low level things that happen, you know, and you don't. And I, I was sort of slightly ashamed I didn't say anything to the other kids on the bus, you know. Um, and I remember telling a friend that, you know, my dad was Jewish and then he told someone else and then someone called me a Yid or whatever. And, you know, this was this was, you know less enlightened times um I'm relatively long in the tooth so basically I sort of was aware of all this and it was kind of I just think you know it's beholden on you to kind of like confront these things and so I sort of felt like I had a horse in this race even though I'm not technically Jewish I sort of felt that you know I had skin in the game and I and I had something to learn and also I was I wanted to do to do a project that sort of had was possibly going to be something profound and that would be kind of uh, a rich experience to do and that needed to be done. And I, and I noticed the way other photographers, they tended to sort of do it in a very kind of lazy and formulaic way. So they would just go to an old people's home, for instance, with a lot of survivors in, and then basically set up a backdrop and photograph them all in a very dramatic way. And Whereas I chose every every portrait in that book is in a different location of the of the survivor's home, you know. So I, each each shoot, I shot nearly two hundred portraits all around the world, 
were in different locations. Um, but I think that adds a richness to it. And the light is different. It's all just daylight. I never used an assistant. I just turned up with the tripod and I used a digital camera. Um, that was another kind of factor. I mean, I think it would have been too expensive to do that project. Uh, were it, were I shooting on film, but I, but you know, digital cameras had been invented and I was able to sort of just, it was just my time and a bit of traveling and the energy and stuff. And uh, so I was able to produce this. There was a nice intersection between the survivors hadn't wanted to talk about their experiences and suddenly got to an age where they realized that the only truly finite resource is time. And they wanted to tell their stories. Um, and that combined with the fact that now we had the digital uh, cameras and so it was possible to sort of do this project properly um, and do it comprehensively. So I started in, in North London. I gave a talk at the London Jewish Cultural Centre, which sort of uh, led to me getting some people who, who agreed to be photographed. And then, then I went to Australia, then Israel, and then finished off in uh, New York um, and upstate New York. Yeah, right. Yeah. It's such a beautiful project. I love the sort of the text that goes alongside each of the, the um, portraits and um, also, you know, like you said, seeing them in, in the different kind of spaces and settings. Um, it just really makes for some really personal and touching portraits. Mm. Like you said, a really important topic. The publisher did a fantastic job as well. You know, it, mm. it was, I was also... The book was shortlisted for the European Publishing Award for Photography, uh, which is sort of um, in the UK is sort of um, fronted by Dowie Lewis. And luckily it, it didn't win because in a way it's better that it's a big mainstream book. I mean, they printed quite a lot of copies and um, part of the um, deal that I did with the publisher, because it was published by a French multinational Hachette, you know, um, Octopus is an imprint of Hachette. But the deal that I did was that everybody in the book, every family, 100, I think it was 145 portraits, every family got sent a copy of the book. So that book is sort of something in their house that's of, you know, significance that will be passed down through generations. And oh, so, that's so beautiful. Yeah, it's had a, it's had a really good response. I mean, um, it was a, an incredibly wonderful experience to be involved in. In fact, I'm giving a, a Zoom tomorrow morning Mm. with a school in Australia with Miriam who came aboard the project and sort of helped me with it um, she's the granddaughter of survivors and she's helped me a lot with the logistics and so on uh, in in Israel and, and New York and um, all this all these school kids have written to I mean half the survivors from the book have died now sadly but um, these kids in the school wrote have written to the survivors and we're doing a big zoom event uh, about the book so it, I mean it just keeps sort of little things keep happening all the time and obviously there'll come a point when there aren't there isn't anyone who has first-hand experience of the of the holocaust and uh, I think it's it was quite you know I think it's quite um, prescient at the moment with the global rise of the strongman and sort of nationalism generally uh, that we're reminded of where where these ideas lead and it's nowhere good. Yeah, absolutely, definitely. We can't sort of forget that history and it's such modern history as well, you know, it's really, mm. really close to our society now. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, beautiful. And we're just so sort of um, delighted and feel really sort of excited to have you on board with the box set project. Um, 
I just thank you so much for giving time to chat to me. This no, my pleasure. <laughs> um, I really appreciate it. And I can't wait for the box sets to be out there so people can see how beautiful they are. Um, and they will no doubt help us raise some much needed funds for the Hep C mm. Trust as well, which is obviously, you know, the, the reason why we do all of this um, art on a postcard. So thank you so, so much. No, my pleasure, Rosa. Yeah. All right, then. Um, take care, Harry, and good luck with the rest of this month of lockdown, whatever that will entail for you. <laughs> uh, well, you take care and thank you very much. Right. No worries. See, see you soon. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to Art on a Podcast. To find out more about anything in today's episode, go to artonapostcard.com and be sure to follow us on all our social channels at Art on a Postcard. Goodbye!